I'm John Pittman, and this is the Arts Blog on allclassical.org. And today I'm speaking with Norwegian pianist Leif Ove Ansnes about his new recording released on the Sony label in the fall of 2022 of Antonin Dvorak's undeservedly neglected poetic tone pictures. Welcome, Leif Ove Ansnes. It's very neglected, and, and because... There's a strange reputation out there that Dvorak has for not being able to write piano music uh, because he wasn't a pianist, he was a string player, he was an amateur organ player, he didn't own a piano for many, many years um, himself. And um, and then it's strange with these kind of um, settled ideas, you know, even I played this, this music in Prague three weeks ago and even they told me that this is not really standard repertoire even here because we think the, he didn't write well for the piano and so on. And, and I said, but actually it's really well written for the piano. It's sometimes awkward, you know, for the two hands to play because it's, it doesn't lie under the hands in the, uh, as easily as Chopin or Debussy or, or Schumann, you know, the great pianist. But, but he uses the piano in a very colorful way. He uses the full range of the piano and the music is glorious. I mean, melodically, harmonically, the characterization that he has. I mean, he has such a strong signature, Borsha. And it's written in a fantastic period, just around the Eighth Symphony, and the, the famous piano quintet was just written, and the Requiem. And so he was, uh, so for me, this piano cycle really stands out in his piano, in his output for the piano, and, and in a major way. I think it's a, it's a fantastic cycle. Tell me your your story of the you and the poetic tone pictures. How far does that go back? What was what or who was your introduction to these pieces? Well, it's very curious because I've known these pieces since I was a child. My my father came home with a bunch of LPs he had bought in London once. Um, I remember and and you know put just randomly together. And there was an LP LP of Dvorak piano music um, played by Radoslav Kvapil, Czech pianist. Those old superphone so recordings. <laughs> yes, yeah. they were very much superphone recordings. And, and I listened especially to, to the first pieces of the cycle and I was very attracted by them. And when I was 12, I played the very first one in a youth competition. Um, so I got hold of the music of the whole cycle. And, um, but it wasn't until recently that I thought about that we could actually do them as a cycle. And I found it a quote by, by Dvorak saying that um, he was saying only by playing all, all the pieces together can one really understand my intention with these pieces. And, and I thought that's really interesting because it's a, it's, it's a much longer cycle than what was normal in the 19th century. We're talking almost an hour of music here. Um, so that's really an ambitious undertaking. And, um, and I got very curious. And when, the pan- when we had a pandemic, you know, we all had more time to be at home and maybe explore things we didn't have time for otherwise. And I decided to study these pieces um, and then to record them. Ultimately. So are you presenting them to us? It looks like you are in the published order or the order that the Dvorak. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole excitement now of this project. I have played earlier, earlier in life, a small group of them together. And of course they can work like that. You can pick and yeah, I'm playing sometimes some of them as encores, for instance, and, 
Some of them are wonderful for that. But I think they make such a wonderful journey as a whole um, because they're so varied. Um, there are mysterious pieces about the old castle or on an holy mountain. I mean, they all have descriptive titles, you know. There are Czech, Czech dances, Bacchanalia, Furiant, which is a Czech folk dance. Um, but there are sort of trivial things like tittle-tattle, there's a piece called uh, tittle-tattle. And um, so there's high and low, and I love that about this music, you know, that's, it re reflects life as a whole. Um, and when then, at the end, when the last piece is on, on the holy mountain, um, and it's a kind of real farewell to, 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 to everything and, and such a benediction, it's, it's really um, very, very touching. Any idea whose story he's telling or wanting to tell? Is he telling his his life story up to that point? Do you think he's telling just general individual tales? Yeah, I don't think it's that personal. It could be with some pieces that it has a that it has a story behind, a personal story for him, but we don't really know. But um, he was saying in a letter also that he uh, that he had tried to be um, a poet a la Schumann in these pieces. And of course, Schumann was the one that started writing um, uh, descriptive pieces, you know, in, in, in pieces like the Kinderzen and, you know, the famous cycle. He's writing about the child's memory of, of different things um, from childhood. Um, and it's very much that kind of world, I think. And you've... and and. I th maybe that's the reason why it feels so personal. Um, immediately in the first piece, you know, these broken chords, you just, it's like somebody opens a book and, and says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, and and, and you, you, you want to be there. It's a very personal thing. Uh, and um, so it's very attractive. And it's, it's, it's hard to know really why, but but for me, his harmonies are always such a signature. Um, you know, there's, there are bars here and there where I think, oh, this could only be written by Torsha. This is just his language. Dvorak's of that period that we, we call romanticism, but also there was a nationalistic um, uh, movement going through through the arts. And mm -hmm. roughly the same time, uh, I would say Grieg was writing lyric pieces for piano. Mm. Um, we, do you see parallels in that regard between those two composers? Absolutely. Um, and they were both part of, as you say, a sort of national movement of wanting to use also their country's um, folk music, you know, folk dances, folk melodies. Um, so it feels very close to the people, the music that they write. Now, Dvorak was more than known for his, his orchestral music and his chamber music. Grieg, on the other hand, more known for his songs and his piano music. Um, um, but they have 
it's 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 interesting to compare the two because they have this sort of same um, meaning for their countries. You know, the same uh, symbols of of uh, struggling for independence and and for finding a, a, a musical language which is which is related to the roots of their country. But at the same time, they both they both strike me as very humble people, very humble men, family oriented, or at least you know. Mm close um the people who are dear to them Grieg and his wife and Dvorak and his family um I can see this also yeah there's a there's a great extremely I mean it's strange maybe to talk about music in this way but there's it feels so incredibly honest and and you say humble um you know when when Grieg was asked um uh, how he saw his position in the you know in the music history he said I'm not able to build palaces and castles like like Bach or Beethoven but I I could I could build homes that people would or, or cottages that people would feel comfortable in and I think that's very well put about his music and and maybe Dvorak has some of the same qualities though in a different way What's the most surprising passage, even after you've played these pieces many times in, in a in a piece? Is there is there a passage, a chromatic or or chordal change that just every time you play it, it just really pops out for you? Is there one that you could you could point us to? Hmm. Well, in the very last piece on the Holy Mountain, just before it, I mean, when it comes down, there's just the most tender unbelievably melting bar um before the before the final farewell the final coda but it but actually if i have to pick one piece which i think is very significant and shows the the, the real talent Dvorak has to develop something simple into a jewel it's the serenade the ninth piece which begins you know like with a very trivial melody you know first minute you think is this all i mean is that you know is and, and it, it isn't all because suddenly it changes the harmonies and and it becomes more tender more passionate the serenading uh and and we find ourselves in a in a middle section which is a slow siciliano which is holy it's like it's like a prayer and it's it, and still with the same melody still with the same melodic uh uh, material and that is a very particular talent I think he has. He could take something great simplicity and 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 shape it, and suddenly it's a diamond. You know, it's a, it's a great thing. He's seems to be telling very very little little stories that may be related to one another are there several in a group there that you feel maybe relate to one another story-wise thematically like going from not so much Serenade i think he, peasant's ballad or something yeah you know i think i think he 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 was thinking very consciously about the contrasting of the story um, so we, we find ourselves being thrown from one thing to the other. But very intelligently, towards the end of the cycle, 
um, it's like he zooms in on something more serious and, and spiritual in the last couple of pieces. So you have the penultimate piece called At, At a Hero's Grave, um, which is well, which is very grave, which is which is which is serious, sad, sometimes pompous and heroic. Um, and then then the last piece uh, on on the holy mountain, which is a real farewell to everything and, and a kind of beautiful prayer. Uh, and they're they're contrasting the two, but they are still sort of um, very spiritual pieces, both of them, and it elevates the whole cycle to an interesting level. After having um, folk dances and, and uh, playful pieces and all that earlier. Leif, I think we're coming near the end of of our segment, our time, does this recording or, or having gone through this process with the Poetic Tone Pictures feel to you like a jumping off point to explore more Dvorak or to, or to bring to light other composers that are maybe on your shelf of other neglected music? Hmm, I'm always thinking and, and exploring um composers and the piano music. I mean, I'm so lucky to play this instrument where there's just endless opportunities of music and both well-known works and, and not well-known works. And, and well, regarding Dvorak, I mean, there's, yeah, I'm, there, there is other piano music, but I would say also there's wonderful chamber music, which is not so often done. I've done a few times the, his violin sonata, very rarely played. Um, Sonatina is more played. Uh, it was, it was uh, written in, in the United States, and it's uh, you can hear it in the in the flavor of, of the music. It's great music. I mean, there's so much. I mean, uh, um, uh, somebody who was even related to uh, to the Borsak was Josef Suk, the, com- the composer. Uh, was the wasn't he the son-in-law of Dvorak? Yeah, eventually. So. And yeah, eventually, and and he has some very wonderful piano music so maybe that's that's another area to explore at some point well it's been wonderful exploring this cycle i almost called it a song cycle because maybe because it's <laughs> it is is very song like it many times but the poetic sure. tone pictures of Dvorak, your newest recording and uh, very much looking forward to sharing this with our listeners here on all classical portland leif ovianzness thank you very much have a great day Great to join you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.